Okay. Thanks for the stream comments telling me that I was muted. So I now have to repeat the joke that I just made, unfortunately. <laughs> so you are expecting to jump in and see the Game Over Montreal stream, but unfortunately, this stream is only for teams that lose. So it's now Game Over Toronto. No, no, we're going to talk about the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal Canadiens win their first game of the season, and I'm joined here by Arun to the power of two. Arun Singh from Skybound, and Arun... Srinivasan from Yahoo Sports. Welcome him in. How's it going, boys? Good, good. I can't wait. I can't wait for the utter confusion of who you're talking to in the stream. Yes, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting one. It's gonna be a little bit chaotic. I'll uh, try to throw it to you guys in a way that makes sense. But we've got uh, a lot of Southeast Asian flair on the on the show today, and I'm excited for it. I I think this is gonna be great. And I think uh, it's going to be tough for Arun without an E because his Maple Leafs have had a tough time. And I think we're both going to bully him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers really got they scored a touchdown today. They did great. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's 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 all bad here in Toronto. But you know, all we can do is laugh. So we're going to have a great show tonight. Um, yeah, seven one. Wow, just gotta love it. But anyway, that's wrong show, wrong time. Uh, <laughs> Good, good for Montreal for getting the first win of the year. Honestly, um, they yeah. totally took control of the game after like the fourteen minute mark. So, of the first period. Yeah, that was it. Was an interesting start because it started much like the last five games, right? Where the Canadians just didn't look in it, and they took that really dumb penalty from Ben Sherratt, which has been happening essentially every single game. Immediately allowed the goal to Dylan Larkin. And you're like, okay, here it goes again. It's the same story over and over and over again. But they actually dug themselves out of it. And I think that uh, you have to give them a little bit of credit that they, for once, didn't get down on themselves. They got back in it right away. And then the power play struck with Hoffman as well. It uh, it was a fun game. I, I have to give the Canadians credit for it. They found a way to battle back in it. And I think that if you look at this game in comparison to all the other games so far this season... A lot of those 50-50 plays where you're just battling for a puck and you're, you're trying to just get the edge on your opponent where they were losing them constantly the first five games of the season. This game, they started to win them after that first goal. After uh, that beautiful pass by Jonathan Druin to set up Ben Sherratt, ironically, it was Sherratt that came back and undid his own mistake with the help of Druin. But those 50-50 plays, the Canadians started to control them. And that was essentially the difference, right? You started to see Detroit take some penalties as they got behind from little chip plays. It was a, it was a fun game, as much as it was defense optional. I think this is a game that if you, if you wanted to, um, if you wanted to have a platonic ideal of why people would want to cheer for this group of players on the ice, this team of Montreal Canadiens, this, this is the exact game. Why it's a, it's not a bunch of flashy superstars. It's, Guys who work hard, grind, get the dirty goals that they have to, the lucky bounces, but work hard and just make things happen, which was not, which has not been their identity for this season, but felt like their identity in the playoffs. You know, Carey Price and Weber, of course, being the superstars. 
And uh, it was it was a it was a fascinating game. I would and we were chatting during the game, and and I haven't seen much of Larkin because I don't get to watch many Wings games. But I was just blown away by how good he was, how fun the Wings were, and they collapsed faster than they collapsed so quickly. I thought they were the Maple Leafs. It was brutal. Um, and look, hey, anybody who has a higher time with this, I'm from Toronto, from the GTA. Uh, I actually have nothing but love for the Leafs, um, but it is. Uh, uh, it was it was the reverse of what I normally expect. I expect the Canadians to take an early lead to look good, and then by the second period, give up a heartbreaking goal in the last five minutes, and then the third period just piss it away. And um, it was I felt good at the end of this game. I, I, it's bizarre. Yeah, it was a weird one, especially when the way that the game went down. I mean, it wasn't all them but it was like the montreal jets really were kind of the keys to the game right matthew perot phenomenal game sammy niku really came in and that was probably the best game he's played in the nhl because i watched him a lot when he was with winnipeg and because i was covering the jets back then for the winnipeg free press and he really has struggled in the nhl so far i know some people have uh, messaged me saying that he just didn't fit into the Jets system and he might fit better into the canadian system that might be true but it could also be that he's just ready now or he had a really good game, but he needed that. And if the Canadians have actually found something in Sammy Niku, which is probably unlikely, but could be, that's a nice little bit of found money. Yeah, absolutely. I know in the last few shows, you would talk, yeah, especially the last one, I think y'all talked about, um, you know, Bergevin's track record with his pickups and, and if it's good or if it's bad, it's something I think it's out of the beholder, but um this game, I don't want to overstate what it means, but it gave me some hope that this is a team that could make the playoffs, that could, when they get their gear, when they get it together, aren't going to be, um, aren't going to let themselves fall into the trap, falling into a hole and then gripping their sticks too tightly, which is what it felt like uh, the Wings did. I was watching the, um, I was watching that power play uh, when it was 3-1 and uh, it just felt like classic Kirk Muller power play. A lot of passing, you don't get points for style. This isn't, this isn't a Tony Hawk game and uh, the credit to the Habs for doing their thing. But if you don't shoot, you can't score. And it was absolutely wild to see not the Canadians doing that for once. They were, they were absolutely dominant once the second period started. Yeah, absolutely. And I should give a little shout out here that uh, if can, we can get some F's in the chat for my good friend, Maria Doty, who saw her Red Wings for the first time in two years today. Her favorite team, she's in love with them, and uh, she thought that for sure, you know, they beat the Canadians because the Red Wings have owned the Canadians for the last couple of years, and they got rocked. So, F's in the chat for Maria. Love you, but uh, unfortunate result for you. But yeah, okay, so getting back to the game, you mentioned earlier, Arun Singh, (laughs) (laughs) that uh, the Canadians, you expect them to kind of piss the game away, letting a back-breaking goal we got to give some credit to Jake Allen. Yes. Like, what a performance. I don't remember if it was 1-1 or 2-1, but in the first period, he made an absolutely incredible t- save when the Red Wings started to push back a little bit that I think kind of changed the game. And despite the fact that he's had some games where he's let in a lot of goals, I think he's been as good as you could possibly imagine him being so far this season, which is crazy that the Canes are 1-5, and you can say that he's been incredible through his own five starts. Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, I was, it was really funny before the game, they were pumping the tires at Grice a lot. And I'm not sure if I'm the only one who heard Grice. 
I thought they were saying price all the time and it was kind of throwing me off, but it was like, they're pumped the tires on Grice and partway through the game, you realized no matter how good he is, he's not getting much support. And uh, that's where the goal started piling up. And I, you know, I don't, I think the Canadians defense, I think even the most ardent of supporters would say there are some question marks, um, especially on that first pairing, but uh, Allen looks like there was no point. I'll be honest. I never noticed Jake Allen. In, in any of the bad ways you would notice a player. I just noticed him in position, stopping pucks, looking solid. And for the Blues fans I know, I feel like what I've always heard from them is Allen is good till he's not, and then it goes off a cliff. But here's the truth. If he is, if he can be consistent, I think this team has a chance if they can improve in front of him because what he's, put, what he's doing right now feels not so superhuman. It's not sustainable. Um, and if the, if the defense, if we can get some more goals in the net. doesn't have to be this many every time. Get a few more goals every game. Um, I think he, he could pull out some winners for us. Absolutely. I thought, I thought it was an interesting game, like, overall. I, um, I didn't want to get this point uh, this point to get lost because Rune brought it up earlier. But uh, with Detroit, you know, their team with a lot of team speed, they're an exciting team. Like Dylan Larkin, I think, embodies that really well. He's one of the fastest guys in the NHL. But overall, they are a pretty fast team. I think stylistically, it deferred a lot for the game against Carolina in terms of Carolina seemed to play with a little bit more con- control, uh, most lower control breakouts, you know, they could get pretty much the puck out of their zone whenever they wanted. I think what Montreal did particularly well tonight is they exploited that sort of the choice hyper pace, you know, they Montreal things at their best when they let really quick, you know, offensively invented teams fall into their own trap, make mistakes. And they, that's all they, I think they changed the tenor of the game tonight. I think, again, like Detroit really wanted to push the pace all night. And Montreal said, if we want to turn this into a track meet, it'll play right into their hand because I don't think Detroit initially has. Um, I mean, I think they are building the skill with some of the younger guys, but they don't necessarily have the, the marriage of skill and experience to sort of, um, you know, make Montreal sweat a bit. And I think once Montreal figured that out, you know, that Detroit was a team playing with a lot of speed and talent, but not necessarily with intentionality, Um you know, that's where, where the game sort of changed. I saw, I saw it last time. I mentioned on the last episode I was on with Carolina. They were sort of setting up right below the face-off circle, from the left face-off circle, and just getting everything they wanted laterally in the offensive zone. That, like, wasn't necessarily the case with Detroit. They came in with a lot of pace, but they didn't have set plays they were going to. And, again, I think, you know, Ben Schrock gets that goal, and the whole game changes from there. But I think exploiting Detroit's speed, um, which is, seems like a weird thing to say, but – um, I think that really worked out well for the, for the Canadians tonight. It does seem like a weird thing to say, but it is entirely right, because that is the way that the Canadian style works, right? Their main source of offense as a team is a neutral zone counterattack, right? They're very aggressive in the neutral zone, try to break up plays and create rushes going the other way. And ironically, that style got them absolutely murdered in Buffalo, because... For whatever reason, they were exceptionally prepared to counteract that style, and it was just like every single time there was a like one little deke with the stick or one little incisive pass, and there was like two-on-one after two-on-one after two-on-one against the Canadians' aggressive checking style. Detroit wasn't able to execute that, whether they are <laughs> not as good as Buffalo in terms of like uh, uh, talent to execute uh, getting through that system or whether they're not as well coached as Buffalo is under Granado. I think those are both, you know, question marks, or maybe the Canadians just executed a lot better tonight. 
But that is exactly what the Canadians like to do, is counterattack on teams that actually do possess a little bit of speed and like to attack with pace. And that's kind of what they did against the Toronto Maple Leafs in last year's playoffs. Not to continually bring that up for you, Arun. No, no, that's no, I mean, that is precisely what happened. I mean, I think what, what Montreal did really well in the playoffs is, you know, take teams that sort of rely on their speed and just totally force them to the outside and just then away they go and they took the chance as well. Um, you know, whether that was sort of, you know, the rush composition, whether it was Phil Noah playing, you know, just some incredible defense hockey um, and sort of in the system and a little bit of luck too and some good goaltending, sure. But uh, it is what they do well. Um, and again, yeah, like Detroit, I think they are building the talent up with their younger guys, but they're just like not there yet where they can just send rush after rush after rush. As we saw with Carolina uh, the other night when they had four lines that could just control the pace. And even though they didn't have to, you know, they weren't necessarily flying through the offensive zone, but they had intentionality. You know, Tara Vinan was getting everything he wanted. Sebastian Ajo was getting every look he wanted. So different game for sure. Uh, I thought, but it was a lot of fun because there was a lot of open ice for both teams to create. And um, again, like it seemed like Detroit had that uh, more side. I thought tonight was going to be the more sadder hour for the first like 15 minutes. Uh, and yeah, I'm he was great afterwards. But man, that kid is going to be a star in this league if he continues to put it together. I think yeah. uh, intention. I think intentionality, which uh, Arun brought up, it's so weird. I feel like I'm talking to myself when I say that out loud. I don't run into a lot of runes. Uh, it's just a lot know, of uh, the self back pat, you know. Yeah. You, you know, well, I, all I can say is Arun is right, and I'll be right two thirds of the time in this conversation. <laughs> uh, but I think intentionality absolutely uh, is a great way to talk about the difference in this game. And there's two. There are two moments in the game that uh, three moments that illustrated for me. Two of them are, are may seem small, but it's when the puck got caught up in the skates of uh, of Caulfield and of Suzuki, and they just kept going. It didn't. They seemed ready. They knew where they wanted to be. They knew where they wanted the puck to be, and they were they were playing with purpose. The Habs were playing with purpose. And I go back to that power play when um, Detroit had a chance to cut the lead to three to two, and it was just passing, 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 and it and it never felt as a VRS, someone who's not hashtag played the game. It never felt like they were ready. It never felt like there was a plan. It felt like they were hoping that they would, they would expose a weakness they had not identified. And um, that is what made it work for the Habs. They, they were always in position. Again, these are things I don't say, about, I haven't said about this team in a decade, like a decade, but they, but they were always in position. It was amazing. Yeah. Sometimes those games just come together and, when things are like when you need a bounce, they finally got a couple of bounces, right? Like uh, uh, I forget which goal it was or whose goal it was. Uh, Dvorak's, that's what it was. Where he like it was a good play to to begin with. It was a good rush, but kind of just like shooting it to the middle and it bounces off a skate and goes in. The Canadians needed that desperately, right? That third goal to get things going, and then. Of course, Pro chimes in with a natural hat trick on top of one of the best games he's ever had in terms of controlling play. I mean, Pro has been an underrated player for a long time and now is in like the back couple years of his career, right? But while he was on the ice tonight, the Canadians controlled 85% of shot attempts. Yeah. Led both teams. Like, absolutely incredible. Expected goals for percentage, 86%. Like, he was amazing. High danger chances, 89% while Pro was on the ice. He had a phenomenal game. And I know that, like, I think that you always get a little bit divisive um, 
in Habs fandom whenever you talk about uh, the whole francophone side of things and and bringing francophone players into the fold and how much you know the coach the GM has to speak French but there is something special about a francophone player or a Quebecois player or any player who is born in Quebec raised in Quebec having a fantastic game at the Bell Center there's something that it adds to the atmosphere that I don't think is quite replicated anywhere else in the league it just ignites the flames of old you know what i mean and i think the canadians do need that in some aspect whether it's you know through the draft or adding guys who are you know value deals like perot i I think that is something that is intrinsically part of the team and when the team is good they always have that right you have to have somebody who has the magic touch and it's usually the homeboy I think it's also, you know, as uh, I, I will, uh, being from Toronto, from the GTA originally, I'm not going to pretend to understand what it means uh, for, for Frank Fun audiences, fandom to have a French player there. But what I can say is from a general uh, BIPOC point of view and thinking about representation, um, I, I think the Canadians have to be finding ways to have those players and develop the talent because that is an intrinsic part of the identity and it means something special that, that none of us here can fully ever understand because we're not Quebecers. How could we ever understand this? And uh, I don't always understand the, the, the coach needing to be fluent in French part of it, but that's, I, I understand I, what I don't, I understand there's still a lot about that culturally. I don't get, but it, I find a joy in seeing pro doing well. Durant, who is probably uh, my, my, uh, my favorite player right now in the league to cheer for. Um, I, uh, I think there's something incredibly special when you see the energy in the bell center. And I still maintain there is no arena where you get energy like the bell center. When you feel that energy, um, when a Francophone player is doing well, it's unlike anything in any sport in this in, in North America. I don't think there's any other sport that has, uh, the same kind of focused fandom and uh, oversized impact of someone from, uh, that market. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about Duran. Let's let's key in on Duran a little bit because I think this is a guy that if the Canadians weren't, you know, heading into this game 05 and 0, it would be a bigger story how good Jonathan Duran has been. Coming back from anxiety, which led to insomnia that derailed his last season, he took off the last section of the season and the playoffs where they went to the Stanley Cup final. Imagine how tough that decision had to be for Jonathan Duran to actually prioritize his own health over playing in a Stanley Cup final or in the playoffs where they actually had some hope to do something. The the sacrifice that he had to make to better himself and the immediate result on the ice. And you, you look at how much, despite the fact that they're, they've been terrible this season, you can feel there's a lightness to Jonathan Duran that hasn't been there for the last several years. And yes, he set up that amazing goal tonight, but you know what the most noticeable play he made tonight for me was, was in the third period, the Canadians are kind of executing a bit of a sloppy zone entry. And the puck just comes to Druin, he's outside the blue line, and instead of taking possession of the puck, he just lightly tapped it over a Red Wings defenseman's stick, over the blue line, over to Josh Anderson, who was able to cut in and take a good shot, which he missed the net because he missed the net a lot this, this game, and he misses the net a lot overall. But just those little touches that Duran makes that are smart and incisive, that's when he's at his best. And yes, he's a terrific playmaker when you can get him the puck in in good areas. But it's those little plays as well that make him a special player. 
And I'm glad we're seeing that because we talked on the very first episode of this show when we had Jack Hahn on where like Jonathan Drouin needs to have touches. He needs to touch the puck. Doesn't necessarily have to hold on to the puck, but he needs to touch the puck and the puck has to go where Drouin wants it to go for him to be an effective player. Doesn't necessarily have to be on his stick. He just has to control the play in transition and offensively. And I think he's doing that. And if this team was scoring a bit more overall this season, his point production would be way up as well. He's been the guy who's keyed almost all the offense up until this game. So I, I, I'm just so impressed with what he's been able to do amidst all the negativity surrounding the team. I have so much time for Jonathan Drone right, right now. Right now. Yeah, but I don't agree. I don't agree. I mean, I think I think your point just ended up well. Like he, I think if the Canadians were winless coming into tonight's game, he probably probably would be getting a little more attention. It's sort of the hard storyline to reconcile. Like John Stewart might be off to his best start of his career after taking you know a, a well needed like you know well plotted mental health break. You know for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean tonight, you know, I actually didn't notice that play that you were talking about earlier. But good on him for getting the two assists. You know, again, change the tenor of the game is you're right. Like, I think I can't say it as well as Jack handed, but I mean, when he's afforded time and space to make plays, he can really maybe hit an extra gear. So we'll see. I mean, I'm inclined to, to say that, you know, we know who Jonathan Drouin is as a player, but if there is an extra gear that he can unlock, if he consistently is this playmaker, uh, I'm intrigued. Like, I'm intrigued, and he definitely has had a hell of a start to the season. So, um, good to see it in a win tonight. I'll say that for him, for sure. And uh, Mr. Singh, I will say, I know that you wanted to talk about Druin as well for personal reasons, so like, yeah. let's let's jump into it. Yeah, I, it's because I have a Funko of him. No, that's not the <laughs> only reason. Um, I have to say, when I bought this Funko, when he started uh, going into a funk, I guess pun intended, uh, I was like, that was an odd choice, but... Uh, I, man, I got so emotional when he scored uh, his, his first goal, the first goal of the Habs season this year. Um, yeah, I, so, you know, a lot of people know this because um, I talk about it online. I talk about it in, in various different forums of, uh, that I've had. I just turned 40 and I've had sleep apnea, severe sleep apnea for the last 25 years. So I wake up about 20 to 40 times an hour. Um, that, has, that will never get better. That will never change. This does not woe is me, but it is to say, um, it's not a thing we hear people talk about a lot. You know, we often talk about lack of sleep, like a, a badge of pride. And like, I, you know, we, the people who can only fun who can function on just four hours of sleep. And I'm very happy for the people who, uh, who have that, who have that ability, if you want to call it strength, um, who have, uh, who are neurotypical, who don't deal with some of the issues that Duran's been dealing with, but as someone who's dealt with anxiety for that same period of time, I don't know which came first, the anxiety and sleep issues, who has, Sleep apnea has had um, multiple surgeries uh, to to and, and treatment to um, deal with it. Uh, it is an incredibly difficult thing, and it's um, and when you have sleep issues uh, like that, it is not like you can just go stay in bed for twelve hours on the weekend and catch up on your sleep. Your sleep goes off a cliff. You're not getting that back, and it's inc- and it's an incredibly difficult thing. So for Dran to not only just get out of bed and get to the gym every day, but to perform as an elite athlete and be as good as he is with everyone looking at him and knowing what he's dealing with uh, takes incredible strength and incredible courage. And uh, 
I, I am, I am an on and it's, and it's, um, it's something that if I had, if when I was, if I, when I first developed a sleep apnea when I was 15, if I had seen a hockey player who was talking about this so openly and succeeding, he would have been an inspiration for me. And I actually think would have helped me in life at an earlier age, figure out how to, um, how to straighten, straighten my life up a bit. Cause when you, when you hit that sleep slide, it's like hitting black ice you, you kind of just got to turn into that spin and, and try to straighten yourself out. So it's incredibly amazing to me. And I think what, what makes Duran so important off the ice will be how he um, inspires, how he already has and will continue to inspire certain conversations and discussion. And I'm really looking forward to hopefully a long time from now in his post-career efforts, what he can do to help with the uh, mental health and, 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 you know, other kind of uh, emotional health discussions that I think need to be had in our society. But I also would imagine for the people on this team, um, he will be an invaluable source of um, inspiration as someone who came in with hype, had to, you know, take his time and came back and did it even better than when he le- and came back even better when he left. And I just um, couldn't be more excited. Man. It means so much to me to see someone uh, like him succeeding. And uh, there's no market where it's harder and there's no market where it's better when you're good. Yeah, that I mean, that's an important thing to say. Like, as much as it is harder in Montreal, because like the the lens of criticism is so focused, but when it's going well, I mean, just ask Mike Camilleri when he scored that hat trick goal in the the Centennial Classic, right? And you could see him on the bench and the the crowd noise. He was just sat there saying, "Wow, wow!" I was I was at that game. I was at that game. You told me tell before. You, I hate you for it. <laughs> I, I can't. No, it, it was. Let me just say the funniest thing was in the pregame game where the old timers were walk clearly couldn't get the helmet over his head. Um, but <laughs> because, the, time, because there's a thing that happens to us all as men as we get older. It's called the widening, yeah. and our faces yeah. just get a little wide. It, it was absolutely amazing. And then Vigo Mortensen there to introduce things, just amazing. But uh, I. My voice was gone from cheering and I thought I was imagining that the building looked like it was shaking and it was, and maybe it was a trick of the mind, but when I I still go back and watch that play and I watch how those cameras are shaking, uh, other than taking my wife to her first Habs game, which will always be special. I can't imagine a, a, a more meaningful Habs game in my lifetime short of for Stanley cup win, you know, like that was, uh, and against the Bruins, that was incredible. And I'm just going to say, I miss Camilleri. I miss the excitement. I, I, I don't know if Suzuki or Caulfield turned into that kind of exciting player, but man, when, when, uh, when Camilleri used to take a shot and get down on, a, get down on one knee, you just knew something fun was going to happen. It was going to be a beauty. Yeah, he had uh, a nice short career with the Montreal Canadiens that I think people kind of gloss over now. You don't hear many people talk about Mike Camilleri, but he was awesome. Um, but yeah, speaking of Jonathan Duran, we should also mention like this is a guy that the first thing that he did when he came to Montreal, when he signed a big contract, was to set up a fund to help fund, I believe, the Children's Hospital in the French uh, Super Hospital downtown, the uh, MUHC. Or no, the MUHC is... It's either the MUHC or the Shum. Shum. Shum is the French one. Because, you know, it's the English Super Hospital and the French Super Hospital. They just like flip the acronyms so you have to remember which one's which but either way this is a guy who, who like the first thing he did before he ever touched a puck was he set up a fund to to help fund people who are sick and like that's who jonathan Duran is and i just couldn't be happier for his success and i hope it continues i hope that uh he leads the canadians in scoring this season and has the best year of his career 
Um, we've had a few people mention in the chat that uh, the Maple Leafs are only three points ahead of the Montreal Canadiens now in the standings. I think it behooves us to point out that the only reason that the Maple Leafs are ahead of the Canadians in the standings was they scored one more goal in the season opener against the Montreal Canadiens. So one goal could have had the Leafs essentially in last place so far this season. And I don't want to talk too much about the Maple Leafs because I know Canadians fans want to hear about the Canadians, but I feel like making fun of the Maple Leafs is also something that Canadians fans want to do. So I think we've got to do that a little bit after they lost 7-1 to against the Pittsburgh Penguins with no Sidney Crosby, no Evgeny Malkin, no Tristan Jari, no Jeff Carter. Ew, it's... Uh... And, and no Chris Letang, right? Wasn't he ruled out today as well? Yeah, no Chris Letang either. Wow. Like... I'll, say, I'll say quickly, guys. It, you know, it was so nice to see like Arun just talk about, uh, you know, fond memories of Mike Camilleri when... In uh, in Toronto, there's just nothing but contempt and bile towards even you know even even our fond memories of the team are just like tainted or um, yeah it's it's not it's not a good time in Maple Leafs land. I mean I think you try obviously you know when you cover the sport obviously you sometimes have to lend yourself to you know common line of thinking um, and maybe you know you know go for a lap but I, I don't know i mean i think i think the 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 contempt and the scorn is well well deserved i mean i i've seen parallels to at least on twitter i was seeing like a few people were trying to note the parallels between mike Bybkop getting fired and this so i'm not necessarily trying to um go the line go down the line of reactionary thinking where it's like you know we need a scapegoat for this but yeah, it's just not a good time to be a Maple Leafs fan. I think there is a large segment of the fan base that still hasn't even came back to the team yet. Or, well, it's game six of 82, so I'm not all the way back. Or, you know, this is just sort of maybe a long way of saying, like, win around first for a lot of fans. But to lose 7-1 on a night where Sidney Crosby and Kenny Malkin's not in the lineup, then Chris Letang got ruled out today in the COVID protocol. Um, I mean... Yeah, these these sort of losses in prime time. It maybe it's, you know this is sort of um, a confirmation bias of sorts, but it does seem that for better or for worse, and I, from my perspective, oftentimes for worse, the Maple Leafs find a way to embarrass themselves in uh, when the spotlight's on them. You know, a hockey night in Canada game against Pittsburgh, where another marquee stars are on the lineup, and it's like you know not to compare it to the David Ayers game, but it's like in the same sort of tier of, you know, here's a chance to make up some ground, you know, local media is sort of running out of patience with the team. National media is having just a fantastic time getting laughs off as they should. Um, yeah. I mean, look, try to put it in perspective of six games, but a seven, one loss. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't think they're, it's an obvious, clear answer. It'd be so easy if there was a well trade this guy or, you know, this coach needs to go. But um, I said at the time when, when Sheldon Keefe was um, appointed as head coach, it's like that's sort of the last card that Cal Dubas can play short of trading one of his big four players, which he's vowed twice on record, not during some just game 41 press conference, like in the state of the union type press conference, like I'm not trading these guys. So yeah, they're, um, they're sort of boxing creatively to a solution here. Um, again, 76 games to go with a team that on paper is 
quite good, but they play worse than some of the parts all the time. And a seven, one loss is hilarious, hilarious. Um, sometimes, you know, listen, uh, we spoke about the positive, you know, I, I don't want to trivialize like mental health, you know, especially as someone with two anxiety disorders. And we just spoke about that, but um, not trivialize it, but I have to get this joke off. Sometimes negativity works, guys. Sometimes negativity works. Sometimes you got to bully a little bit. So I don't know. That, that's my long rant on the state of the Maple Leafs. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch the Canadians tonight, you know. <laughs> First time. Because they Honestly. haven't been fun so far. Both these teams, like, frankly, as much as the the, vi- the vibe right now around the Canadians is positive for tonight. And the, I saw somebody in the chat saying, like, oh, Canadians fans think they're going to win the Stanley Cup because they won one time. Don't get it twisted. I don't think anybody's coming out of this game thinking that the Canadians are in a good spot. They're still at, like, a 5% chance to make the playoffs this year. Nobody's happy. But I, the difference is the Canadians don't really have expectations because of the losses that they suffered in the offseason. They had their miracle run. Most people understood that it wasn't a situation that was going to repeat this year. So, like, the focus at the beginning of the season was long shot to make the playoffs. Now it's the longer shot. So, like, the as much as it's disappointing to start 0-5, what has happened hasn't knocked them down off of what the expectations were too much. Whereas the Maple Leafs are like, okay, cup contender. They're starting just as terrible as the, the Habs have, pretty much. But they look much better on paper, and the expectations are so much higher. So, obviously, you know, Leafs Twitter is losing their minds. Losing their minds. If I may and, say quickly, uh, Mitch Marner just said it's not time to be concerned. It's like, uh eh, well. I mean, for him, it is. It 100% is. I mean, and the thing is, Mitch Marner, his underlying numbers so far this season are good. Like, he should have more production than he has had. And I don't think we can write off the fact that he is. he started the season with an injury, right? He got hurt in training camp. Wayne Simmons clipped him a little bit in, uh, I think, in practice. Austin Matthews coming off wrist surgery. So there are legitimate reasons to, like, give them a break. But at the same time, like you mentioned, Arun, like, they haven't met a situation that was hilarious. They couldn't turn into a loss. You just look at last year alone, right? They had the whole Vancouver situation coming out of COVID where, like, the, the Canucks couldn't even skate. They were so tired. They were bagged from so many other players having COVID and just coming out of the recovery, having such a long layoff, and the Leafs like absolutely bottled that game. And there's the playoffs. Like it was you watch that all or nothing series, and almost every single episode ends with like this super embarrassing collapse. And you're like, when you edit it this way, you can kind of see where it's going, even if you didn't watch the playoffs, right? And the Leafs are that team that find a way to do the most painful thing to their fans repeatedly. But they should be better based on how they've played. The results should be better. But how long can you tell a fan base that things should be better when they've only experienced disappointment and now their best players aren't performing? So it's a very tough situation for them. But uh, I suppose we shouldn't talk about the Leafs too much more, even though I find them so easy to talk about because... They're so chaotic, right? The Habs are chaotic in a different way. I think the Habs are more frustrating. Like we talked about Druin earlier, and one of the things that was frustrating me so much as a viewer this season was, you know, Druin had that great start, right? Scored the first goal of the season against the Maple Leafs, and then it was just like, and nothing. The Canadians got no jump out of it. And like I've mentioned before on the show, like if that was me, not that I am in any way talented enough to like sniff a locker room, 
in a professional hockey setting, I would be plowing through the boards. I'd be so excited for Jonathan Druin, right? Like the next shift, you're going out, you're laying big hits, you're driving the net, you're doing everything you possibly can to cash in on that momentum. And they hadn't been able to in any game up to now. And finally, they were able to get some of that mojo back. So I think that more than anything is probably why Canadians fans right now are a little bit full of hope is that that ability to layer a few shifts together hasn't been there at all this season. And now it finally showed up and they got some goals for it. So it's like, it's breaking the slump. Yes. But it's also the way they showed that they could do it. I think that is kind of turning people into like, okay, maybe this team isn't straight dog trash. I think also, look, I want to talk about the Leafs first real quickly to say, like I take, I take no joy in what they're going through. And I'll be honest, there's, I think we've all had, we've either or known people who've had this in your careers where uh, you're just snake bitten and you're doing everything you can, but there's like emotional quicksand or whatever professional quicksand. And no matter how hard you try, you just keep sinking faster and you're trying to correct and you're overcorrecting or undercorrecting your overcorrect. And sometimes the best thing you can do for yourself is be extricated from that environment. And I would argue that uh, the Leafs, have an incredible group of players who are maybe, who maybe not be an incredible team of players. But, yeah. I, I can see that. That sounds, there yeah. Is, uh, yeah. And it's like, that's, and it's, so it's like, it's not that Mitch Marner isn't worth a bunch of money. It's not that Austin Matthews isn't elite. It's just that perhaps what you need is you need to move. Um, you need to move someone because, you know, one plus one plus one plus one is still equal, equaling two somehow. It's just not working, and uh, that's that's really um, when I look at that team. That's kind of what it feels like. And I'll I'll take back I'll take it back to something else Canadians related. Look at, looking back over here, which is uh, you know whether whatever uh, I was a big Subban fan, remain a big Subban fan. But this from the sounds of it, now how good a player he was, he wasn't right for that locker room. And we can, as Andrew has talked about a number of times, he's debated a number of times. Uh, you know, maybe for some of the reasons for it, but ultimately he wasn't right for that room and he had to be moved um, based on the way they, the organization was going. And that may be the case if there are some players who just need to not be there in Toronto. What I get excited about in Montreal this year is I want to see those young players develop. I want to see if they can make those young players work because that's the one thing I have not feel like I haven't seen in the Bergevin era is Bergevin acquired young players grow and, and blossom. And that fits perfectly with, we've got a few comments asking us to talk about Cole Caulfield and his slow start. I thought he had a really good game overall tonight. He's still like, I think one of the things that's going to hold Caulfield back uh, until he develops it a little bit more is his strength, uh, like on the puck. He gets knocked off the puck really easily. He's not a very good forechecker. I think that a lot of people see a small guy like Caulfield and they kind of expect him to play like Brennan Gallagher. He's not Brennan Gallagher. Like, He's not going to be that style of player. He's going to be more of a shifty, uh, deep guy trying to beat guys one-on-one. He's not going to battle it out along the boards as much and battle it out in front of the net. But I think he's getting close to breaking out here. If he if he just gets a goal off of somebody's butt, I think it's going to be like lighting a fire under him and we're going to see it. Like Some of the confident plays are starting to happen. He's still bobbling the puck a little bit, but I don't think that there's much of an issue there. He's, I think, now playing on the third line. His center is Jake Evans. So, like, I like Jake Evans. I have a lot of time for Jake Evans. Don't think he's a third line center. Don't think he's going to create much offense for Caulfield to 
to bank on or to uh, to bounce off of, and it's just not a good fit. I think they desperately need to add a third line center if they want to be competitive. But uh, I'm not too worried about Cole Caulfield. I think there are spots in his game that will be frustrating for a couple of years, but he's going to score goals. I think that if he doesn't develop into a 30-goal scorer, it is the ultimate destruction of Bergevin's whole I'm-going-to-build-through-the-draft ideology that he's parroted out there a few times over the course of his career. But uh, we're going to wrap up quickly here because it's Saturday night, and we don't want to stay too long, but we've got some other questions from the Discord that we'll throw out here rapid-fire. Phantom asks, do you think this this turnaround will help spark the kids on the team as a whole going into the Western Road Trip? We've had issues with the California streaks before and need to come out of this trip on the winning side. Um, I don't think the California Road Trips are the same as they used to be. The Sharks have had a hot start to the season, but I don't think any of those California teams are particularly great. The Canadians aren't either, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I think that uh, the young players haven't really hit it off yet. Right? Like This game was not the, the young players who carried the day. It, it wasn't Suzuki. It wasn't Caulfield. They had all right games, but it was more of the vets that uh, broke out. So I, I think we still need to see the young players take over. Yeah, this absolutely feels like a team that is is uh, that is Weber and Price's team. They're just not here. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to when it's Caulfield and Suzuki's team. Um, and I think Suzuki is a guy I'm watching intently because I can't help but do that because I know what his value, his price tag is going to be for the team in the future. Smart, shrewd move in my mind. It's a worthwhile gamble, but it's, uh, it's the kind of thing I wish they had done with Subban and to bring him up again. But uh, it is also... Um, it's I give him a minute. Same thing I would tell Leafs fans. Like, honestly, I, uh, I know Marner may not be the messenger for this, but my, my note to everybody would be just chill out. Neither, either way, the sample size is still too small for us to know. Uh, we're still living in COVID era. We are still, we're, it, it, you know, people are getting used to getting back to some measure of regularity or, or familiarity in life. Give it a minute and let's see where this where this is in a month. Because uh, if the Habs were five and zero, I would not be saying Stanley Cup, <laughs> you no. know, because I, I wouldn't be believing it. So if, if they were when they were owned five, I was like, okay, that's you know, let's they're not that bad either. I do not believe the Leafs or Canadians or most teams have shown who they are yet. We're 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 just starting the season. Everyone can chill out a bit. Yeah, I just agree with you quickly that like yeah. Coffin and Suzuki are going to be fine and could have like a great stretch in the California road trip. I wouldn't say the two situations are comparable. And I'm saying this in Montreal's favor, like Coffin and Suzuki still have years to figure out who they are. Um, whereas the Maple Leafs are entering year six with their core four. So I think there's a little bit of a difference there in the impatience, but yeah, um, this is this being a Canadian show. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think Cole Caulfield is going to be fine. I, you know, said in the chat with you guys, like he's too talented not to, Yep. You know, it would be an indictment of the organization if he doesn't become that guy for, for the abs. And I think he will in his early in the season, his skill profile is too good not to. And yeah, there's a nice little stretch coming up. So I think he could go off. He's due for it. And I think so is Suzuki as well. Yeah. I think that's the biggest issue so far for the Canadian season is like, if you look at the schedule of October, like this was a month that they probably should have made bank on, right? A lot of non-playoff teams that they were facing, they didn't really get much accomplished. So that's like part of why it's such an uphill battle for them going forward. But at the very least, I hope they can entertain us. Like uh, one of the questions from the discord was like, how does it feel to, uh, 
finally do an episode after a win. It's good because we're not being repetitive. You know, like I, I think after a certain number of losses that they all are patterned very similarly, you get into a danger of talking about the same thing on the show every single time. Like I even had people saying like in the chat, they're like, oh, you mentioned this last two shows. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to. But when you see something happening over and over again, you kind of have to go back to it a little bit and at least touch on it. Now we can talk about something else, something positive. You know, Mike Hoffman got his first. Perot, that what a fantastic performance. Dvorak getting his first on a nice uh, a nice play that they got lucky on. Uh, they also asked, Cold Snacks asked, asked, has the curse shire been broken? My friend, it was never the curse shire. It's the SDPN curse. And as soon as Adam Wilde started calling it the curse shire, he transferred the curse to the Toronto Maple Leafs because this is how SDPN works. As soon as one person teases another person, they absorb the curse. That's how it works. Now, I don't have a rooting interest anymore. I used to be a gigantic Habs fan, so I haven't really been affected by these losses. It it doesn't really bother me. I've still been having a lot of fun on the show, uh, talking to amazing people like Arun and Arun. And no matter how this season goes, we're going to have a kick-ass time on this show. We're going to have fun after every show. It's going to be cathartic after losses. It's going to be fun after wins. And I'm excited for you guys to bring it in here and have fun with us. Make sure you like the video on YouTube. Make sure you just subscribe everywhere you can find a podcast. We're finally on Google. And uh, to Arun and Arun, can you both tell us, uh, we'll start with Arun with Noe. <laughs> tell us what you got going on. I know you already did last episode, but tell us again. And then Arun Singh, tell us as well. It's so, uh, you can, I guess, I'll be freelancing in a few different places, but I can say this now. I can, uh, I'll be writing a little bit at Yeah, Sports Canada again. Uh, among other places. Um, so I have a few different freelance projects in the work. You can find me on Twitter at ArunThings. It's A-R-U-N Things. Um, and uh, yeah, it should be a fun season ahead. Uh, thank you again for having me um, not only today, but uh, on Thursday and for indulging me to talk about the Maple Leafs uh, and uh, what an interesting time just to be in that fan base as well even though this is a Canadian show. so It's it's my pleasure. And also, make sure you mention your book as well, because I think that's going to be really important. When oh, it comes out. Yeah, I know, it's, I know it's not close to done yet, but still. So I'm working on a book about the history of racism in hockey. Um, it's still a while, a while away from being published, but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying the research process. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the main project I'm working on at the moment. Before you go, <laughs> Arun... <laughs> We got a comment on the YouTube channel that says, incredible show today. Can't exactly put my finger on it from a person named Arun. Oh, here we go. Yes. Finally. The Arun Power. Yeah. Hey, you know what? We can, uh, I definitely, uh, we, we should get rid of Andrew, get the other Arun on here and take over. Um, <laughs> you up wanna, for it, Arun? <laughs> we should just answer in unison, Arun. Uh, so <laughs> I, I will say that, uh, first of all, to just go back to the curse part, it remains the Dangle curse. Steve yes. Dangle got behind the Habs by getting behind Gabe over Montreal. The power to destroy lives, you know, is his. Steve Dangle is ruining my, our lives. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Arune, A-R-U-N-E. Uh, and then on Instagram at Arune Singh, A-R-U-N-E. And if you don't know how to spell Singh, I don't know what to say, um, but uh, I'm the director of brand for editorial at uh, Skyman Entertainment, home of Walking Dead and Invincible. So uh, buy some Walking Dead. Buy some Invincible. Buy a really awesome comic called Excellence. Uh, 
Also, if you want to buy socks, I've written. I've written a few. They're uh, they're collected in uh, WWE, then, now, and forever. A graphic novel available uh, at your local Indigo, probably, or at any other book. And um, you can follow me if you want to. Uh, if you want to hear more about cats, Fast and Furious, The Vampire Diaries of General Hospital, I guess, and hockey too. Awesome. All right, and I should say for just for my friend Arun Singh being a huge comics guy i wore this shirt for the show it's a lion king black panther crossover and it's my favorite shirt in the world so all right everybody thanks for showing up and thanks for coming on the show we're gonna be right back next week when the habs take on i believe next week is all late games so stick around for like one in the morning when i stream this